Good morning to you, church. If you have your Bibles this morning, and of course I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ezra. Thank you for those who've been listening the past few months. The book of Ezra, right before Nehemiah, both in the Bible and in what we're preaching. So we'll be starting Nehemiah, hopefully, uh, right after Ezra, right after Advent, uh, Lord willing, right in the beginning of the year. Uh, it's last week, we, we took the week off from our time in Ezra as we installed James Terrence as our sixth elder uh, here at North Hills Church. And so, uh, But we started the chapter 8 a couple weeks ago, and this morning we will finish chapter 8 uh, on this kind of journey that Ezra is about to take. And we talked a little bit about the journey last time, and we're going to see briefly that journey this morning. Um, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, is uh, Ezra was planning this trip. As you start there in chapter, uh, if you start in chapter eight, there in the beginning, we see these names. Uh, this uh, we said this genealogical list. It's not in itself a genealogy, but it's this list of people that are coming from Babylon in this second wave uh, of refugees or of uh, returnees, if you will. The second wave of returnees going to going up to Jerusalem. We see that list of names who they're from, and kind of their genealogical record, so to speak. And then we see that they uh, got kind of started on their trip, and they said, hey, we have no, uh, we have no Levites here. And so they, uh, they went back and, and got the Levites, and then we see they fasted and prayed. Uh, we see kind of the, the big deal about Ezra saying, I'm not going to ask the king for an escort because we are trusting the Lord. And that's where we left it last week as they are preparing uh, to take off and preparing to start this journey that we spent a good bit of time talking about last week. And so in this morning, uh, we'll kind of finish the, the launch and then they'll take off and then they'll get to Jerusalem safe and sound, not to spoil it for you, there at the end of chapter 8. So let's read our text this morning. Is that good? So Ezra 8, starting in verse 24, we'll go to the end of the chapter. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah and Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benoah. The whole was, the whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. 
At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all of Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All of this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity as a congregation today to turn to Ezra chapter 8, the last part of it, and look to your word and to hear from you by your spirit. Would you lead us this morning? Would you guide us to truth? Would you keep us from error? And would you help us to see Christ? It's in his strong and sweet name we do pray. Amen. Well, this morning, there are three observations that I would like to make from this text, three things that we see from uh, our passage. I'll go ahead and give those to you for those who are good note takers. We see that God provides for his work. We see that God sets stewards over his work. And we see that God accomplishes his work. And so that's how we're going to see the, the clearly in the text this morning. So our first point this morning is that God provides for his work. So as we see the work that is set before Ezra that he had started already, and uh, we know that he's only coming to the, to the scene, the last half of the second half of Ezra, uh, the book written after his name, the book he authored. And so we see that he has this active role in returning the second wave of uh, the Jewish people up to Jerusalem. And so what is his job? What's his role? He is specifically called to support to support the people in the house of God. And you can see this at the end of the chapter, or the end of the, the chapter, the last verse there, when it says they accomplished their mission in verse 36. They delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. And so this is Ezra's call. He is to bring these people up and he is to support what's going on in Jerusalem. We know the altar has been reestablished. We know the temple has been rebuilt. The walls have not yet been rebuilt. But Ezra is taking this group up to continue the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He was leading these additional people to bring additional resources to Jerusalem in this second wave of Jews that are returning. And he needed two things. He needed people and he needed money. And guess what two things God provided? God provided more people and more money. That's what we see here in the beginning. You say, well, John, that's just too, too simple. Well, that's what God is doing right here. He is providing people to, uh, to continue to go to Jerusalem, and he is providing a lot of resources that they do not go back empty-handed. They're not just going to provide sweat equity to Jerusalem. They're going to bring um, very diligently the resources of the Lord. And so God provides for his work. Two things that we see that he provides for his work in this text. One is he provides the right people for his work. God provided the right people for his work. We see two spe uh, specifically named, Sherebiah and Hashabiah. Uh, if, you, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we met them at the end of our text then in verse 18 and 19. So chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion. Remember, they went back to get these, uh, these priests. And they, they, they came back and said, look, by God's good hand, by his favor, by his blessing, they brought us a man of discretion, the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen, also Hashabiah with his, and with him uh, Jeshiah and the sons of 
Merai and with the kinsmen and their sons. And so we see that they go back, and in that group that comes back with them are Sherebiah and Hashabiah. Now, Sherebiah, we see, it describes him in uh, chapter 8 there as a man of understanding and or a man of discretion, which means understanding. So there is wisdom in this leader that we're going to see here in uh, verses 24. And he is a leader of the people, and with him, Hashabiah. Sherebiah means the Lord is my sword, and Hashabiah means the Lord has considered. And so we see this task that's about to go before them. They don't just get to hop in trucks and go to Jerusalem. They're about to take this long journey, a thousand mile or so journey from Babylon to, uh, to up to Jerusalem and through the mountainous areas. And it's not an easy path. And so the Lord gave them two people, one who says, the Lord is my sword, and the other, the Lord has considered. The Lord has thought about this. The Lord has strategized, if you will. And so the Lord has brought the right people for the task at hand because God provides the right people for his work. And, of course, we see they were priests, and it was important of what the task they would be doing, that it was going to be important for them to handle God's holy vessels and God's holy treasure, if you will, in the right way. So he brought these two men who were priests and their kinsmen, it says, with them to lead this roughly around 5,000 or so people who are going back to Jerusalem in this second wave. Now, this is not the last time we're going to see these two guys. We're going to see them in Nehemiah as well. And then the, the part that really just puts the stamp on their farm is how it describes that they joined the party, if you will, by the good hand of God. They didn't just show up. They didn't just, hey, we, we, uh, we're just going to join the group here. We want to go back to Jerusalem. But it was by God's providence. It was by His caring hand that He brought these two to lead the people up from where they are to back to Jerusalem. And so God has called the right people for His work. One thing we say often in the business world is that it's about having the right people in the right seats at the right time. And this is exactly what's happened. The right people are in the right seats doing the right thing for the glory of God. And no one does this better than the Lord. God always, as He provides for His work, He provides the right people for His work. Uh, God will never provide the wrong people for the task. God is uh, sovereign. He is providential in that way as he provides the right people for his work. And God is doing that even here today, here at North Hills. He has brought the right people into this congregation at just the right time. And he's done so to provide for his work. He hasn't done so for any other reason except his glory and our good to provide for the work that he is doing. He has provided elders for our congregation. And as we kind of talked yesterday in our elder meeting, more than most, you know, we get that question a lot, how many elders is enough whenever God stops putting a desire in men's hearts to be elders who are qualified because God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's calling these men for a very specific task. And he has called elders to our congregation to shepherd well, to lead well, and to love his flock. He has provided deacons for our congregation, godly, servant-hearted men who serve well. Because again, God is about providing people for His work. He has provided musicians, teachers, community group leaders, and all sorts for our congregation. Because God is going to provide the right people for His work that it may be done for His glory. And God has provided you for this congregation. You thought you are going to get out of that right. Hey, I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a community group leader. I'm not a teacher. not a musician. I'm just here. Well, God has provided you here 
to be a part of this congregation, to join him in his work. But you are not here for you. You are here for others. I remember uh, years ago in the early days of North Hills, we had a family uh, come visit for, for a while. And I, honestly, it's been so long. I don't remember if they joined or not. Uh, but I remember uh, sitting with this guy at um, uh, Scott's Catfish. We, we sat and met and talked for a while. His first question to me was, John said, why is God calling my family here? How can we be a part of what God is doing? I'll never forget that conversation because he was very aware that God was calling him to join him in the work in this particular congregation because God provides the right people for his work at the right time. And just to, be, uh, just to be direct this morning, if the Lord is willing, North Hills desires and will plant a church in the next 12 months. And to do so, we need people who are committed to the task. We need people who will follow the Lord and join Him in His work and His activity, who will go out from here to plant. And likewise, people will be needed here at North Hills to continue the work that God is doing in this congregation and more plants in the future because God provides people for His work. That is how He's chosen to do it. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need any, any single one of us. But God chooses to use His people for His work. And I'm confident in this, that God will provide the right people for any church that we are ever part of planting. But back to our text this morning, not only does God provide the right people that we see in Sherebiah and Hashabiah and their kinsmen, but he also provided the money needed for this work. He provided the money needed. He provides a lot of it. So as you see there, Sherebiah and Hashabiah, they come on the scene. And then Ezra says, I waited out to, I wait, yeah, wait out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all of Israel there uh, present had offered. I wait out into their hands. And he lists off these measurements. And he gives us some context. 650 talents of silver and silver vessels were 200 talents of gold and 100 talents of gold. Uh, and 20 bowls of gold worth a thousand derricks and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. So not only does God provide the people that's needed for his work, but God provides the money and the resources needed for the work at hand. Now, as we look at these resources here, we can do some math. I love math. I'm a numbers guy. And so I pulled up my calculator this week to see, to just kind of get a frame reference of what we're talking about here. Just to give you a, little, a few numbers, a talent roughly is about 75 pounds. Now, I'll let you use your calculator, not right now, in the middle of a sermon, okay? But afterwards, you can uh, do some math. At 75 pounds per talent, uh, even just using today's numbers, silver is $22 per ounce, and gold is $1,900 per ounce. That's roughly over $200 million equivalent, so, so to speak, of, of resources, of stuff. That doesn't even count the bowls and all the other stuff that they're bringing with them. They're bringing immense treasure from Babylon to Jerusalem for the work of the Lord because God's work needed these resources. It needed this money, and so he sent it. And we've seen this at Cyrus, and we've seen it at all the kings, that through God, God is, is, is taking the resources and the plunder from Babylon to fund what he's doing in Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Because you may say, hey, that's not, God didn't provide that money that came from the king. And well, you're both right. It was from the king, but it was at the Lord's hand. We see in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everything 
on this planet, both materials and people belong to the Lord. He is sovereign over all of these things. And so Jerusalem needed more resources to continue building and needed resources to buy uh, the animals needed for sacrifice and for worship. And so God said, I know where to get that money. It's in the pockets of the Babylonians. And so he sends this immense and massive wealth up from Babylon through these priests, through this 5,000 people to go to Jerusalem to, for his work because God provided the resources needed for his work. And God wasn't sending all of this silver. It wasn't sending all of this gold. It wasn't sending all of this wealth from Babylon so that the Jews could be rich and live a life of luxury post-captivity. It wasn't, okay, you guys have suffered enough, and so now I'm going to just make you fat and happy in Jerusalem. This was not God's purpose. He was using these resources for his work because God provides for his work. God provided the, the needed resources for his work then, and he provides the needed resources for his work today. As James mentioned earlier, we met yesterday for several hours as elders to talk about all kinds of things in the church. Uh, and after, I think, about an hour and a half of, uh, of discussing and praying for uh, the people of North Hills, we talked about the budget. And we all love talking about budgets, right? Such a fun topic. Talk about budgets of this year and budgets next year. And we have a lot going on in the life and ministry of North Hill. There's a lot of things happening, such as youth ministries and children's ministry and worship stuff and small groups and conferences and camps and outreach. All of these things are happening. Mission efforts like the uh, supporting the SBC and Nelba and Technae Ministries and Reaching and Teaching. And so many things that are happening in the life of North Hills Church that require to a degree funds to make these things happen. And so how will God provide the financial resources needed to help keep these missions and ministries funded? Hopefully he's going to send a band of 5,000 people with gold and silver marching up from 1,000 miles away and bring it to us. And we can do whatever we want to, right? No, that is not how God, he may, he's God, he can do what he wants to. Be a great sight. That's likely not going to happen. He is going to provide the financial resources needed to keep these ministries, these missions and these ministries and future church plants funded through us, through all of us. That is how the Lord is going to fund his work because God provides for his work. God provides people and resources needed. And he's not going to do it through us begrudgingly, but generously and freely. Just as the offering of Ezra was a free will offering been looking for free will in the Bible, there it is, right there, in verse 28. Got that joke from Ryan, so you can thank him. But the, you look there in verse 28, and I, and I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. And so just as they gave freely, we give freely today as well. We can see that uh, Paul says it clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Where he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so our giving to fund the ministries, missions, and church plants, and all the activities of North Hills Church will be through the generous and free giving of his people. Because God provides the people needed for his work, and he provides the resources needed for his work. Secondly is this, that God sets stewards over his work. He sets stewards over his work. So going back there in verse 28, 
where he says, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy. So not just the people of God, but these vessels are holy. And the, and the silver and the gold are freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. So he's setting this up. It says, guys, you are holy. This means you are called out. You are set apart. And these things that I'm putting in your hands, all these vessels, all of this, this treasure, this, this is set apart. It's not for your journey. It's not to go bribe the bandits you're going to see. It's not to, to spend on your way. But this is holy set apart treasure for the people of God in Jerusalem, for his work. So it says, this is who you are. This is what you're carrying. Now in verse 29, he says three things. He says, guard them and keep them and ultimately deliver them. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of God. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So God sets stewards over his work. He sets people to be about his work, to be his vessels, to oversee his work. Again, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us, and he uses us as stewards. Ezra calls out the people and the treasure as holy, as set apart for God and for his specific purpose. Now, the purpose of the treasure was to support and aid Jerusalem, as we see at the end of chapter 8. And the purpose of the priests were to steward the treasure of God, to guard it, keep it, and deliver it. Now, it's, it's interesting if we pay attention here to who God is called to be a steward. Now, remember, this is not an easy journey. They're about to, it was going to be difficult enough, right, just to travel with 5,000 people in a caravan a thousand miles through the mountains, through the, all the treacherous uh, terrain amongst all the people who don't like you, who, who don't want you to be there. So it's already going to be a difficult enough journey. And it says, hey, before you leave, here's $200 million worth of stuff. <laughs> Will you put this in your car and take it with you? Do you ever get nervous when you travel across the country? Maybe you have a lot of money or cash or something. You get a little nervous, makes you a little more nervous, right? So all this stuff, and it wasn't just money, it was God's. It was God's resources. And now they're about to set out. So who did, God doesn't call, at least we, we don't see any evidence of God calling any strong, mighty warriors. And there's no shortage of strong and mighty warriors in Israel. But who he has called are these priests and their kinsmen. He's called Ezra. He's Ezra and has gathered all these people. And what we see here highlighted are these two priests. And these are the people who are going to journey through this treacherous way to deliver this stuff to Jerusalem. Priests, not warriors, not men of renowned strength. It reminds us of two things. It reminds us that God uses the unexpected. He uses the unexpected. If I were writing this, I would not have, I would not put Sherebai and Hashabai in charge. I said, where's the lineage of Samson? Send that guy. Because we're about to have some difficult times ahead but he calls and uses the unexpected and he raises up people with a purpose and I love looking at the, the meaning of Sherebiah and Hashabiah the sword of the Lord and God has considered so he has put the, the tip of his spear and his strategy leading this group he has called them and raised them up for this very purpose God uses the unexpected and he raises up people with a purpose Sherebiah and Hashabiah had this monumental task ahead of them to guard, keep, and deliver the treasure of God a thousand miles through this treacherous terrain. 
And thus we have one of the most fantastic stories in Scripture that we don't know anything about, that is untold. Because all we have is this one verse. So it says, and, and they take this on, right, in verse 30. So they did this. They took over the weight. They're prepared to, they're by faith, they do this. And they, they take it and they're ready to go. In verse 31, and then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. That's the verse we have. That's the whole story. Thousand miles on foot and camel and caravan and all the ways they're traveling. Four months, three and a half to four months. You can imagine all the stories, how God protected them and kept them. And we get one verse. We get a lot of prep work and we get a good bit of when they arrive, when they show up. But the actual journey, we get very little detail about. But we know this, that God sets stewards over his work. God provides for his work so that ultimately God can accomplish his work, as we'll get to in just a moment. So this fantastic story that we don't get the details of, but on their journey, all along the way, they, were, they were, remained seeing themselves as God's stewards, as God's people who were carrying God's vessels, God's treasury for God's purposes. And I can't help but to think in the New Testament of a, of a similar thought. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I can't help but think of how we see this shadow of stewardship made clear in the New Testament. First Corinthians 4, just the first couple of verses there. And this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. So this is how we should see ourselves, as stewards. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, which is the gospel. So servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel. Moreover, it is required the stewards that they be found faithful. So we today are stewards of a treasure that is far more valuable. It is not gold or silver. We are stewards. We've been entrusted with the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus. Are we believing that gospel? Are we pointing others to that gospel? Are we discipling others in that gospel? Are we being found faithful as stewards of the richest treasure of all? And that is Christ. Are we willing to, to risk it? Are we willing to go on this journey, this journey that we call life, and looking to and knowing that God will lead us and guide us ultimately, and He has us here for His glory and our good, but He has us here for the gospel of Jesus. That is what He's called us to do, is to take the gospel not just to our neighbors and nations, but to our family, to our children, to all of those that God has put us in contact with, to be bearers of the gospel, to be stewards of this gospel. God sets his steward over his work, and God provides for his work. And then lastly, God accomplishes His work. He accomplishes His work. And so we see the end of this. We see, starting in verse 32, we came to Jerusalem, and there we remained for three days. They got there. They set up, they set up camp. They've never been to Jerusalem before. They've never seen the new temple, never seen the old temple. This is a new generation. And so they set up camp for a few days. Likely they're looking for housing. They're uh, maybe meeting some, some folks in the first wave that they've missed. 
They're just there for a few days. and don't know exactly all that they're doing. But on the fourth day, it says in verse 33, Within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, the son of Uriah, and with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with him were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benuiah. And so they, they, on the fourth day, and it may have took them three days to unload all the wagons, to get all the gold and silver and vessels off, and all the treasure. But then they, they put it into the hands of these men who were entrusted in Jerusalem and the new temple. And the whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. Not one golden jar fell off the wagon. Not one silver coin was missing. It says the full weight, the weight of everything was recorded. They had been entrusted with this treasure of God and they delivered this treasure of God. God accomplishes His work and He does so through His people. So without any recorded fanfare, the second wave of Jews, they return to Jerusalem They've accomplished what they've set out to do. Every ounce we see of gold and silver and treasure has been delivered to the temple for God's purposes because God provides for His purposes. And then what do they do? They did the only thing that the people of God should do after this long journey, after seeing that they'd been used by God, they worshiped Him. In verse 35, at that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, they offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all of Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All of this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And so they worshiped. They worshiped their God in Jerusalem, right there at the temple. They worshiped God. This was their response for seeing how God had used them. This was their response for God fulfilling His promise and bringing them back to the promised land, bringing them back to Jerusalem. They'd never been to Jerusalem. They'd never been to the old temple. They'd never worshipped God as He had prescribed. And now, after this long journey, they're able to worship God in His rebuilt temple. And throughout all of Scripture, this is the pattern that we see. God providing for His work and God setting His people as His stewards and God accomplishing His mission. It is God who is at work in all of these things. Nowhere is it more on display, though, than the work of Christ and the work of Jesus. God provided for His people in His perfect Son everything we need through Jesus Christ. Everything God provided. God accomplished His work of redemption through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that we'll gather around the Lord's table in just a moment to remember and to receive. God has accomplished His work. Jesus said it is finished. He has done the work that the Father has set Him to do, and He's done it perfectly. And God sets us as stewards with this gospel of Jesus, that He has set this work in motion that He has finished it through Christ and He has set us as stewards of the gospel. He's entrusted us. He's not entrusted anything, anyone else, any other means except His people with the good news of Jesus. So as we think on these truths, let us approach God as the returnees did with a heart of worship for all God has done. Let us pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and for your truth. 
I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who provides. You are the one who sets us as stewards, and you are the one who accomplishes your work. That it doesn't rely on us. That we look to you and trust you. We thank you for the example we see in Ezra, and it may it encourage us and remind us to be engaged every day as your stewards of the gospel. Lord, there's one here this morning who's never heard your gospel, repented of their sin, and turned and trusted Jesus. They do so this morning, having heard the good news. And for the rest of us, Lord, may you cause us to respond in faith this morning to your preached word. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity that we can gather around your table and remember what Christ has done in his body and his blood. Thank you for a chance to sing. Thank you for a chance to give, Lord, to give towards the work, not of North Hills, but of your work. And we respond in faith. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.